Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here in a little bit, I'll be reading a few of the verses, just uh, 8 through 11. Again, 1 Timothy 1. And these verses, I said the last time I was in Timothy, I was going to be getting to the law soon. And the law has been a controversial topic in the church since the very beginning. Last time we read about Paul telling Timothy, who this letter is written to, to deal with the problem of some men who are doing damage through their teaching. And he described the the problem of their teaching as strange doctrines, myths, endless genealogies, fruitless discussions, And all of this from men who want to be teachers of the law, even though, it says, they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Now, how many of you have ever seen a child speak confidently about something that they know nothing whatsoever about? How many of you think that that's as irritating as I think that it is? When people don't have any idea what they're talking about, and they go on with great confidence, and and they're telling people what they need to do and why, and they're just wrong, it's frustrating, isn't it? And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to take care of, to shut these men up, because they're just causing problems. They don't have any idea what they're talking about when they're talking about the law. They want to be teachers of the law, but they, everything they're talking about, they're, making, they're just very confident. But he says they don't understand what they're talking about. <clears throat> but Paul knows that these men who want to be teachers, who are so confident that they just are willing to just go for it, even though they don't have any idea, he knows that they're not going to be stopped easily. Why? Well, because they're that confident, right? And so what he does is he adds, he he. He doesn't just leave Timothy in Ephesus to deal with them and tell him what to do, but he also adds this letter. He writes this letter to Timothy with addition, as, to be additional ammunition because this letter is meant not just for Timothy, but for everybody to be able to read it so that everybody knows that these men that Timothy is trying to silence, Paul is also in favor of him being silenced. So he's trying to strengthen Timothy in the work and show the rest of the church that Timothy is undertaking the right work. That's the level of difficulty that it's going that, to that Timothy is facing. The, the, the difficulty of the work of getting these men who are so confident about the law to be quiet, to stop teaching these strange doctrines, these myths, etc. It's going to be so hard that Paul is giving Timothy absolutely everything he can to help Timothy in the work. And so, right after he gets done saying, here's what Timothy is in Ephesus to do, he says... Now let's talk about the law for a little bit. And he just gives a few verses. He gives this short explanation of how Christians are to view and use the law according to 
the gospel. Because remember, the men that are teaching all of these strange doctrines and myths and so on, all of that is in opposition to the gospel. That's what we saw two weeks ago. So let's read Paul's explanation of the law. Just these few verses, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So the law is good. The law is good. If. If you use it rightly. The law is good, but only if it is used lawfully, as he says. Now this is, this is a great start. Because, I mean, we can just read through this and it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, mostly what I got was this list of bad things. I I caught that because those stand out to you. Murders and killing mothers and fathers. Yikes. Okay, yeah, we get all, that stands out to us. But right here at the beginning, what does Paul say? He's, He's giving an explanation of the law and its purpose, right? And he says, well, yeah, the law is good if you use it lawfully. This is self-referential. You see this? This is recursive. The law is good if you use it lawfully, which is, okay, so we're back to the law. If the law is, is the law good? Yeah, the law is good. When is the law good? Well, when you use it according to the law. Okay, but that means that the goodness of the law is dependent on what? understanding the law. You, you have to get it right. And that's why he, this, is, this, is, this is him taking on these guys who don't understand anything about the law in spite of the fact that they're so confident that they know exactly what they're talking about. Now, how is it <clears throat> that he's taking them on? Well, Paul is constantly facing opposition in his ministry in various cities, various places. It looked different, but one of the things that you see as a theme throughout his ministry, throughout his teaching, is as he interacts with Jews, which is the the first group that always hears the, the good news because they already had, what? The law, right? When he begins to interact with them, he faces this difficulty that they think they understand the law when they don't really get it. And so what they wanted to do, many of the Jews, is they wanted to force those who believed to hold to the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. Now, what's the ceremonial law of the Old Testament? Do any of you kids know that? You ever heard of the ceremonial law? No. Okay, well, when you read through the Old Testament and you get to the book of Leviticus, right? There's a lot of things in there about how you're supposed to worship God. And it's all about the tabernacle and then it, it, it's changed later on. It's all, it's all, 
it becomes focused on the temple, but the tabernacle and the temple were, were where God, his, his presence was, right? And so it was, it all, it all came to, it all came to the, down to the ark and the holy of holies. And there were all sorts of rules about how people were to worship God. And we don't have an ark here. Do we? We don't have, we've got a curtain, but there's nothing behind it. I can open it and show you it's just like some chairs and stuff, right? There's, there's, we're not hiding anything behind the curtain anymore because the curtain, when Jesus died on the cross, was torn in two. And that curtain is what kept us from being able to go into the Holy of Holies, kept us from the, the presence of God. It represented to us our sin. Okay? Now, we can't go on and on talking about the ceremonial law and, and, the, and the Old Testament, but what we can recognize is that all of the stuff that has to do with the tabernacle, all of the stuff that has to do with the ark, we just don't have those anymore. So none of those rules, none of those parts of the law can apply anymore, right? But there's more to it than just that. What other kinds of law are there? No, I don't know. If you kids didn't know what ceremonial law is, you may not be able to answer this question. Can anyone tell me what other kinds of law there are? There's moral law. And what's the moral law? You kids know this one. The Decalogue. Ooh. The Ten Commandments. That's right. The moral law. And so what Paul does is he's facing people who are trying to apply and and force more of the law onto people than is left after Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, and one of the places where you see this most is in Galatians. And in Galatians, it all comes down to a question of circumcision. Do Christians still need to follow those parts of the law, the, the, the part that says that everybody's supposed to be circumcised? And Paul is adamant. He's absolutely insistent that this is not required of Christians. That this is not something that we receive holiness through. And so what the Jews and and those who had begun to follow these these myths and commandments of men and, and strange doctrines, strange teachings... What they had done is they had, they had taken the law, they had taken the Old Testament, and they had, they had begun to just willy-nilly say, everybody has to do all this stuff still, and this is how you're going to be saved. And Paul is, Paul is completely opposed to that because what he says from the very beginning is that the gospel, the good news is not dependent on our obedience to the law. And that includes the moral law. Okay? It doesn't mean that we don't have to obey the moral law, but what he's saying is that our salvation comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. So right before this, in Timothy, he's, he's saying that what we're trying to do is further the administration of God, which is by faith. And that's the opposite of by 
obedience to the law. Okay? So Paul is just perpetually facing this, this, this fight about the law. Some people were trying to force those who believe to hold to all of the Old Testament law. And there are still those who try to do that today. Claiming that we must obey the Old Testament dietary laws. Others were trying to deny that it mattered at all what we do with our body. Denying that the law had any application to Christians at all. And so what Paul does with these few verses is he obliterates both the, the, on the one hand, saying that the law is completely done away with and means nothing to Christians, on the one hand. And on the other hand, he obliterates the arguments of those who are trying to hold up the law as the method of our salvation, that our obedience to the law and holding of the Old Testament law is going to bring about our purity, is going to bring about our salvation. And so Paul knows that he's going to face the accusation from some people that he has rejected God's law by attacking these men's teaching. So here he, they, they're just the, they're the keepers of the law. They're the ones who know exactly what's right and what's wrong, and they're so confident they know exactly what everybody needs to do. And, and Paul is going to attack them, and he knows that their response is going to be, oh, so you just don't believe in God's law. Oh, so you just hate God's law, huh? And he immediately responds with, but we know the law is good. So, but only when. Only when it's used lawfully. I agree that the law is good, but only if you use it lawfully. And then he gives an explanation of what that lawful use is. Now, we love to use the law unlawfully. And remember I said this is, this is sort of self-referential, it's sort of circular, you have to keep going back to it, but the sound doctrine of the gospel, earlier on we, we saw, is furthering the administration of God, which is by faith, and the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Okay? So if you keep that in mind, that that Paul puts, puts the law and the gospel together in our, in our passage, and then he says early, just a few verses before that, that the goal is love, okay? Here's, here's what it comes down to. You know that the law is being used when it is improperly, sorry, you know that the law is being used improperly when it is not being used to further the administration of God's kingdom by faith for the goal of love. Okay? In other words, you can shorten it. When the law is being used not in love, the law is being used unlawfully. When the law is being used without love or against love, it's being used unlawfully, according to the gospel. Now, when does that happen? Well, it happens all the time. And you know how I love to use examples from kids. So, I want you to think about the rules that get made in households. In homes, mother, father, they make a rule. And the rule might be uh, something entirely unrelated to the moral law, right? Like, no using crayons in the basement, 
There you go. There's a random rule for you, right? No using crayons in the basement. And why do we have to make a rule, no using crayons in the basement? Anybody want to guess? I mean, we don't have that rule, but I can come up with a thousand reasons why I might make that rule, right? Why? That's right, because you can't. That, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good answer. Just, that's just the way it is, because you can't. <laughs> uh, because you don't want kids coloring on the walls where there's no supervision. How about that? Right? So, so no crayons in the basement, because, or because there's mom's big art project down there right now. Or any number of other reasons why you might make that rule. And parents are having to make these rules all the time, right? But then the rules change, don't they? Because these aren't about God's moral law. They're just about household things for, for trying to keep things going smoothly. You understand? And so teachers do this in classrooms. They, they have to make up a new rule or, the, you know, the principal makes up a new rule for the school. Why? Well... All of these rules come into being, and we're going we're gonna to have to evaluate whether they're good or not on the basis of what? They come into being to prevent bad behavior, right? So there's some sort of bad behavior that's going on, and the easiest way to deal with it is to make a rule. But does the rule solve the problem, the root problem. Well, sometimes the root problem is simply the ignorance of a child that doesn't understand that this is something that needs to be taken care of, the art, mom's art project in the basement, right? And doesn't understand what taking care of actually means. And so the two-year-old wants to help it, take care of by helping with that project and wreck everything, you know, because they don't understand. But an awful lot of the time what's going on is that they're selfish and they want to, they want to do things that they're not allowed to do. And so the law comes in to, to combat sinful motives in children. Now, all of that, we've got, you understand, this is, this is just life. This is how things work. You've seen these rules. You've made these rules. You've enforced these rules. And then the art project is gone. And the rule, no crayons in the basement, isn't necessary anymore. Okay? And now, here is where you have the enforcement of the law by a child, on another child, right? Mom said no crayons in the basement, says the four-year-old to the five-year-old, or the five-year-old to the eight-year-old, or the eight-year-old to the four-year-old. It doesn't matter, right? <clears throat> no crayons in the basement. And they're just adamant. And why? Is it because... They understand anything about the law, the rule? No, I mean, they're not, they're not thinking about the rule and what the purpose was or, or furthering the goal of mom and dad, right? Why does sister want to enforce this law? Well, that's... That's the question. If we can answer that, then we can understand a lot about ourselves as adults. If you can understand why Big Sister wants to enforce that rule when it's no longer necessary, you can understand why you want to enforce the rule. Why you want to, not out of love, not out of furthering the administration of God's kingdom, but you simply want to push this law on people. So why does, why does Big Sister want to do that? Well, Big Sister wants to do that because Big Sister 
had to obey that irritating law for two weeks while that project was down there. And she was the only one who ever wanted to use crayons in the basement. She was the only one who ever used crayons in the basement before that. And she suffered through that miserable law for two whole weeks. And now little brother, la-di-da down the stairs with crayons, and mom doesn't care. It's not fair. How come I had to be miserable for two weeks, couldn't do my coloring in the basement safe from my brother? Isn't that, isn't that one of the reasons? Because it's not fair that I had to obey it, and now you don't have to obey it. But does that have anything to do with love? Does it have anything to do with furthering the administration of, the, of, of God or of your parents? And now adults, do you see yourself? Do you, do you understand why we want to use the law not in love? We want to use the law to make people miserable because it made us miserable. Because it's not fair that we had to be miserable under the law and that other people don't have to be miserable under that law. You think about the Jews. The Jews for, for generations, for centuries, had these stupid, irritating dietary laws that they had to follow. All these rules about how you could cook and this, that, and the other. And and they didn't learn anything about God from it because they were, if they were focused like that, you see? They weren't, they weren't, the, the law was a gift to them, is what Paul says. You know, it was a benefit to them, and, and it taught them about who God was. And, but, you know, if you look at it that way, well, we had to follow it for all those years. Now you have to, too, if you want to become a follower of God. The law is only lawful if it is, it's only good if it's used lawfully. The law is only good if it is used lawfully. How else do we like to use the law? <clears throat> oh, uh, selective enforcement when we're upset with somebody. Right? So, Crayons in the basement. I break that rule every day. But I don't want my brother down here coloring with me. And so if he tries to come downstairs with crayons, no way. Mom said no crayons in the basement. Right? Or... Everybody's breaking the rule. Everybody's downstairs coloring with crayons in the basement until there's a fight. And then, quick, put away your crayons. Go tell on everybody else. They're downstairs coloring with crayons in the basement. Does that have anything to do with love? Oh, of course not. Does it have, any, does it have anything to do with wanting mom and dad's will to be done? No. And again, adults, you, you do this. You know what I'm talking about. So what's going on here? <clears throat> well, what's going on is there's right and there's wrong uses of the law. So what is the lawful use of the law that is good? Well, it's not for the righteous. Paul is not saying here that there's this category of person called the righteous that, uh, that's just perfect at you, Moses.
Paul's not saying when he says that it's not for the righteous, he's, he's not saying that there's this, group of, there's this group of people that are the righteous, okay, where there's no, uh, there's no need for the law. He's not saying that there's some people that aren't sinners. What he's saying is that those who love God are already obedient to him. Those who love God obey him. And so they don't need to be told, stop doing that. That's wrong. You need to repent of that. Because why? Because they're not doing that. Right? And so, the... uh, You know, to go back to the kids, when the kids are taking care of the art project, there's no need to make rules about no crayons in the basement. You, you You don't have to tell them. You don't have to make the rules because they already know this is important to mom. I want to take care of it. We're going to be careful down here. We're not going to play baseball. Right? Maybe I should have been using baseball the whole time. That's a lot lot better way to destroy an art project, right? And so to the extent that you love God, you will obey him. And to the extent that you obey him, you have no need to hear the law. Because you're already doing it. But when you disobey you do need to hear the law. Which means that the law still has a very important place in the lives of believers. Because why? Because we still sin. We still sin and therefore we still need to hear the law. Because the law is for the ungodly. And when we act ungodly, we need the same law that every sinful man needs. The command to repent and obey God. Now, It's important for us to realize that many people today try to put the law and the gospel in opposition to each other. And the gospel is the good news, right? And the good news is that John 3.16, we read it earlier, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is good news. That is the good news. That is the gospel. But what Paul does here is he puts the law and the gospel together in verse 11. He's just listed who the law is for and how it's used lawfully. And then he says, he ends verse 10, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. And remember, sound teaching is what he's been, is the opposite of the strange teaching that these men have been giving. And so the law is to shut, shut off the bad behavior, and the law is to shut off the bad teaching, right? And then what? Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So according to the good news, here's what the law is for. According to the good news, here is how the law is to be used 
lawfully. According to the gospel, this is what the law is and here's what it's for. Do you see that? And there's no, there's no pulling them apart. You just can't separate the law and the gospel. The appropriate use of the law is actually the gospel's declaration against evil deeds and bad teaching. Do you see see that? The law is the gospel's declaration against evil deeds and bad teaching. John Frame points out that there is a this connection between the law and the gospel, that every declaration of the gospel includes a command, includes a law. And that law is repent. That command is repent. And so the movement today to deny that these two things go together This movement has at its heart a failure to understand the wickedness of sin. This movement tries to equate the law with mere morality. Okay? Now, God's law can never be equated with mere morality. Have you ever met somebody who was a, what the world would say is a good man. Surely, there, you, you've met these, these good men who are not Christians, right? Just no claim to faith, but always seem to be doing good. A friend of mine talked about a, a Mormon man as the best man that he had ever met. You know, just such a good man, never met a man as good as this man. <clears throat> well, a Mormon doesn't know God. A Mormon has no faith. A Mormon does not understand the gospel, does not understand God's law, does not understand their own sin. So regardless of whether it's a Mormon, any non-Christian, all those things are true of them. So if you've got this good man, what's going on there? The world sees the outward behavior of this man, and they think, looks pretty good, right? What's happening there is mere morality. That's what mere morality means. There is nothing of true obedience to God in faithless morality. Obedience to God's law without faith, with outward appearances, doesn't accomplish anything for the salvation of that man's soul. Right? But it can give all kinds of benefit to their life. And that's something I don't want any of us to ever forget. Obedience to these laws, even on the part of non-believers, will bring about the natural blessings of God. But it will never be the obedience of faith. And therefore, it will never be obedience to the law according to the beneficial use that Paul is talking about here that's according to sound teaching of the gospel. So 
So mere morality is this strange thing where, on the one hand, it does have something to do with the moral law. It does have something to do with God's commands. Here's a person who is polite, who doesn't lose his temper, who uh, is generous, who isn't slandering, who's always honest, all of these things that we can say, yeah, those are objectively good, right? But without faith, that is mere morality. How does that differ from the gospel preaching of God's law? to using the law in opposition to unsound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Well, it differs because when you've got mere morality, you you have no concept of guilt. You have no concept of being a sinful man. This is the lie of Mormonism, that that you can be holy on your own, right? This is what the world wants to think, is that there are good people and there are bad people, and that the good people, it has nothing, it's, it's, it's all just on the person. Whether you did it or not. It's in your own strength. It has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with faith. It's just, did you do the good or did you not do the good? And this is why I say from the beginning that when we try to split apart the law and the gospel, really this is at its heart a failure to understand the wickedness of sin. Because the man who has mere morality is not actually good. Not according to what Paul describes in the gospel. Not according to the law of God. Because he who has broken one part of the law is guilty of breaking the whole law. And there is no one perfect, not even one. And so the man who has mere morality is like the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I have to be saved? And Jesus said, well, keep all those commandments. You know, don't commit adultery and so on and so forth. And the guy said, well, I've done all that since I was a little boy. He has has no concept of the sinfulness of sin. You see? And therefore, he doesn't have any understanding of his own guilt. And so what does he need? He needs the gospel. And how do you give somebody like that the gospel? They need more law. They don't understand yet. They don't understand sin. They don't understand the sinfulness of sin. They don't understand the guilt of sin. And so many people think that they are good, want to believe that they are good. So many people have, take, have, have grasped onto mere morality as the standard. And so don't ever let anybody tell you that preaching the law of God is just calling people to morality. It's just calling them to mere morality. That that has nothing to do with God's law as we see it explained here. How does that happen? Well, there... What you'll, what you'll see is, as you try to declare God's requirements, 
to the world. People who have fallen into this error will say, well, you can't expect them to obey that. They're not Christians. They don't have the spirit yet, right? And you say, exactly. That's the point. They think they can. It's not that I think they can. I'm not an idiot. They think they can. And so what does Jesus say to the rich young ruler? Here, here's some more law for you. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have reward in heaven. That's quite the extra dose of law to to a rich man, isn't it? Of course you can't expect them to keep the law. And yet, they will never repent until they see that they are breaking the law. They, They cannot ever repent if they do not know the law. And this is why all of this, what's it against? The law is, you know, it's for those who are lawless, for those who are rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Non-Christians, the law is for them. Why? Because that's the gospel. That's what it's for, according to the gospel. The people who've made <clears throat> fallen into this error of trying to separate the gospel and the law from one another, then will turn around, and when you try to give the law to the Christians, they say, well, we're not under law. We're under grace, right? And so, when you separate the law from the gospel, where does the law actually have application? Nowhere. There's nowhere where the gospel, I mean, where the law is helpful anymore. If you recognize that the law goes together with the gospel. Then what you see is that it has a purpose for those who are lawless. And then you realize this is not about me trying to make people miserable. This is not about me trying to get them Uh, to have to do the same things that I had to do when I didn't like it. Right? This is is not like the little kid trying to boss around the siblings and trying to come up with ways that they can control everybody around them. And we do this, you know, I mean, it's not hard to come up with something in here that you, can, that you can use to control somebody else, right? But is that about love? Is that about the gospel? No. So don't ever be afraid to tell people what God requires of them. And what God requires of them is that they, what? Obey him. How much? All of it. All the way. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And now all of a sudden we understand Now all of a sudden, 
we see that Paul has totally thrown these, these false teachers, he's thrown them for a total loop because what he said is, you don't give nearly enough credit to the law. You don't use it nearly strongly enough. You use it for sinners. Not for the righteous. And that's what they that's where that's where we always want to that's what we always want to do with the law. We want to make it like, oh well, I'm keeping the law. And that's the definition of righteous. He goes, if you're righteous, you don't need the law. It's for the sinners. The law is for sinners. Why? Because that's the gospel. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, the law is good if you use it lawfully. And if you're even going to start down that path, you better you got to understand what the law really says. Or you won't know whether you're using it lawfully. Don't ever be afraid to tell people what God requires of them. If they're Christians, if they're righteous, they'll love it and they'll do it. And if they aren't Christians, then they won't want to hear it. And you know what that'll do? That'll give you an opportunity to press home the rest of the gospel. Starting with the fact that if they don't repent, God will judge them. And that may be all the further you make it. That's okay. That's all the further Paul made it in the Areopagus on Mars Hill. He said, God's going to judge the world through a man. And he proved it by raising that man from the dead. And that's where it ends. Was he preaching the gospel? You bet. That was the law, wasn't it? You've got to keep the law. And if you don't, you'll be judged. It's time for men to repent. And in that one word, repent, you must repent, in that one word, is contained so much law and so much gospel because they can't be separated. 